King David today. The end of... I, I should have looked up when we started with King David. When we started this whole thing. I think it was before Easter. I think it was before Easter because we were talking about Jesus, the son of David. We wanted to focus on that. But... um. So, King David, we are in 2 Kings chapter 2, because even though we spent the whole end of 2 Samuel talking about King David getting ready to die, getting ready to die in his life and his life, he doesn't actually die until 1 Kings chapter 2, because 1 Kings and 2 Kings is all about the kings, duh, of Israel, and then eventually Israel and Judah, and all that so what we're really doing is we're not just finishing off King David. We are establishing the kingdom of Solomon and all of the, the dynasty of kings after that. Okay. So remember, God told David, if you, you seek after me and you bless me, I will establish your throne forever. So then David sought after him and then he fell with Bathsheba and then he repented and then God said, I've taken away your sin. One of your sons is going to be on your throne. And I'm going to make sure that forever one of your descendants is sitting on this throne. And this is a covenant I established with you. And if they do bad, I'm not going to take away the kingdom. I'm just going to punish them and discipline them. But they'll still be king. And then I'll put another one of their kids on. And you'll always have an heir on the throne. Which was all pointing and fulfilled in Jesus, right? So about 40 years after Jesus, the, um, the total kingship in Jerusalem was wiped out by the Romans and the Romans said, enough of this, we're not going to play games anymore. And there really hasn't been a king in Jerusalem since. There's been prime ministers, there's been other various rulers, uh, you know, until 1948, Israel wasn't even a country for a couple hundred years. So this kingdom business is all pointing to Jesus. It's all fulfilled in Jesus in a completely new kind of kingdom. And it all gets established and settled and started right here in 1 Kings 2. So when David's time to die drew near, he commanded Solomon, his son. He said, I'm about to go the way of the all earth. Be strong, show yourself a man, keep charge of the Lord your God, walk in his ways, keep his statutes, his commandments, his rules, his testimonies. David is like, I'm about to die. I have had a face-to-face -face relationship with God. Well, not like Moses. I've had a very close relationship with God and I've instructed you in it. But now I'm about ready to die and I'm a little worried about how you're going to do and so he says, dude, my son, Solomon, just seek after the Lord. Follow all, of the, all that's written in the law of Moses. You'll prosper in all you do, wherever you turn. The Lord will establish his word that he spoke to me that said, if your sons pay close attention, if they walk before me in faithfulness with all their heart and all their soul, you will not lack a man on the throne of Israel. He's saying, we'll always one of, your, one of my descendants, one of your descendants will always be on the throne if we can just follow the law of Moses. It's pretty awesome that it, it says this is David's last words to Solomon because Solomon is the guy that later would write the book of Proverbs. 
And the opening of the book of Proverbs is the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. He's emphasizing. These are my Proverbs that I got, that I wrote, and King David was my dad. Verse Proverbs 1, 8 and 1, 9. Hear, my son, to your father's instruction. Forsake not your mother's teaching. They're a graceful garland for your head and their pendants around your neck. So Solomon gets from David on his deathbed, follow the law of Moses, seek the Lord. And the opening proverb that Solomon has is, if your father and mother give you advice and wisdom about following the Lord, do it. Seek the Lord. Seek the Lord. The, the, the basic fundamental foundation of anything you're going to do is to seek God, seek him, go after him, pursue him. So then David gives a couple instructions. Solomon, follow the Lord. But I got a couple people, a couple issues still outstanding, a couple loose ends that I need you to tie up for me. Number one is in verse five. You also know what Joab, the son of Zeruiah, did to me. Oh, you knew it was coming for Joab, didn't you? Like all the times that David and Joab are kind of bickering and fighting. Here it comes. You know what Joab's son Zeruiah did to me, how he dealt with the two commanders of the armies of Israel, Abner, the son of Ner, and Amasa, the son of Jether, whom he killed, avenging in time of peace for blood that had been shed in war and putting the blood of war on the belt around his waist and on the sandals of his feet. All right, so we're going to go back and we're going to talk about all the people he mentions because it's really awesome to, to dwell on that and not just read past it. So Abner first appears in 1 Samuel chapter 9. So if you're looking at your table of contents and your pages, that was a long, long time ago. So remember, there's this little kid and he was bringing cheese and bread to his older brothers while they were fighting a giant. This is David. David's a little kid. He brings food to his brothers. He hears this giant Goliath offending the armies of the living God. David goes out, kills Goliath. Saul says, who is this kid? Bring him to me. Who brings David to King Saul? But Abner. So Abner, at the time of Goliath, was one of Saul's lead army commanders. So you think, okay, wait. Abner is a commander of this army. The army that was shaking in their boots and totally scared and afraid to go fight Goliath and didn't know what to do. And they have a giant. And uh, that was Abner. And Abner brings David in, this kid that just fought the fight that he should have fought. So he's really impressed, but he's also kind of like, whoa, wow, this, this really happened. And that's the beginning. That's when you first hear about Abner. Then you hear about Abner again. You guys, we're totally rewinding the whole summer. You're, we're, it's just flashbacks all morning. You were, do you remember when Saul died and the next of kin 
below Saul was a guy named Ishbosheth. And Ishbosheth was going to rise to power, but he was kind of a weak guy and he wasn't very much of a fighter. And I don't know. So this big tough guy named Abner said, I'm going to help you win. I'm going to help you become king, Ishbosheth. So Abner leads the army for the name of Ishbosheth, and they go out and they start fighting against David and David's men. And who is the head of David's army? The sons of Zeruiah, Joab, Azahel, and Amasa. And they go out and they have that fight where there they're are separate sides of a lake. And they say, let's just, you send 12 guys, we'll send 12 guys, and you all fight, and whoever wins, wins. There's no need for us to have all this bloodshed. And the 12 guys from one side come out, and the 12 guys from the other side come out, and they all pull their swords, and they all stab each other, and they all fall over dead. And it's a tie. And all the men go, rah! And a fight begins. And they really start fighting. And Abner is running along, and the fastest son of Zeruiah, Zeruiah, is um, Azahel. And Azahel is chasing Abner. And Abner says, dude, quit chasing me to kill me. Because I'm going to kill you. If you catch me to fight me, I'm going to kill you. And how will I be able to look your brother Joab in the face if I've killed his brother? There's something about Abner that sees eventual peace between all of them, that sees some kind of reconciliation between the house of Ishbosheth and the house of David, the house of Saul, which is now the house of Ishbosheth, and the house of David, that Abner doesn't want to fight against Azahel. And he's like, dude, just quit pursuing me. Quit trying to fight me. Because I will kill you, and then I'll feel bad because Joab's my friend. These guys all knew each other, and now they've, they've kind of fallen on different lines. Azahel doesn't stop. He keeps fighting. He catches up with Abner, and Abner <clears throat> kills him with the back end of his spear. And then Abner says to Joab and all the other armies, you guys, we are cousins and brothers. When is this ever going to stop except when we're all dead? Go home. And they all give up and they go home and the war stops. So Abner was like a right on guy. He's super tough because for crying out loud, he just killed one of the sons of Zeruiah and nobody can kill them. But he didn't want to. He wanted peace. So a little bit of time passes, and Ishbosheth says, Abner, why are you trying to take my father's concubine? And Abner says, Listen, you little punk, this is none of your business. I'm going to side with David. And he does. It's a really weird story. We don't, we don't get a lot of details in it. So Abner goes through all the land, heads on down to David. Joab is conveniently away. Abner shows up. David's like, Abner, I'm so glad you're here, dude. Let's have a feast. They have a big old feast. Abner says, I'm going to bring as many people to serve you as I can. 
We're going to build up your army. Ishbosheth is yesterday. Long live King David. Abner leaves. Joab comes. What's with the feast? Oh, yeah, Abner, he's on our side now. He's going to bring a big old army. Joab is so mad. Peace has been brought. Joab won't have it. So he sends a messenger. Hey, tell Abner there's one more thing we got to tell him. So they go and they tell Abner, and Abner's like, oh, what? Did I forget something? And he comes back, and Joab kills him in a hallway back off to the side. Joab kills him in peace. Peace has won. This is a peaceful time. Everybody's going to get reconciled. And King David, he says, Joab wore, he wore blood on his belt from wartime so that he could use it during peacetime. That's like an expression. Like he took some, some hatred and some anger that happened during war. And he's just waiting to whip that sucker out and hurt somebody during peace. Isn't that wild? And David didn't stop him. David, David didn't kill him. There's no retribution that comes to Joab. He just says, what do I have to do with you sons of Zeruiah? You guys are so violent. He says it like four times through the whole thing. So that's Abner. What about Amasa? Okay, Amasa is another gross one. A whole lot more recently, there was a rebellion against King David. King David said, look, Amasa, Go round up everybody, meet me here in three days, and we're going to fight this guy. And Amasa says, okay, I'll go get everybody, and I'll meet you there in three days. Three days pass, no Amasa. Joab is like, I think Amasa turned to the other side. I think he's, I think he double-crossed you, King David. And so David is like, all right, Joab, all y'all, go out on the road and go fight the fight without Amasa. We'll see where he shows up. So they go and they start marching their troops. And here comes Amasa. And Joab says, hey, Amasa, how's it going? Oh, my knife. And he kills Amasa. Amasa didn't see it coming at all. His actual words were, how is it going with you, my brother? That was Joab's greeting to Amasa. And um, Amasa is the guy that he killed. And then he left them all in a big bloody mess on the road. So then as the army marched by, everybody kept uh, doing the thing that they do on the Lloyd Expressway, where all the traffic slows down to see what the wreck is and cause like nine other wrecks. So finally they kick him off into the weeds and everybody marches on. Amasa, again, another moment. Reconciliation is possible. We never hear where he was, why he was late for his three day thing. We never hear, was he conspiring against David? Did he get lost? Was he even fighting against the rebellion? And that slowed him down. Joab didn't care. Joab lived by the sword. And so he killed him. So David tells Solomon, you got to deal with Joab. Act therefore according to your wisdom. But don't let his gray head go down to Sheol in peace. <laughs> so the other funny thing here is that Joab is old at this point. Joab has lived a long, long time. He was there with the mighty men. Okay. He's been at least 40 years with David. But it's over. He says, wipe him out. Don't let him die a peaceful death. But 
just that I'm not evil, King David says in verse 7, deal loyally with the sons of Barzillai, the Gileadite, and let them be among those who eat at your table. For with such loyalty, they took care of me when I fled from Absalom. So those guys, do you remember when Absalom was going to come and kill David and David fled to this other land and they welcomed him and they took care of David and all of his people and they're like, you can stay here as long as you want. You are a guest here. And then when David came back, he's like, you guys should come with me and eat at my table. And the guy said, I am so old. I can't taste anything. I won't enjoy any of the taste of any of your food. Take my son. Take my nephew. Take this next generation of young guys. They'll love your food. They'll eat you out of house and home. But they'll love it. Take them. That's these guys. So David remembers them and he promises to take care of them. Oh, but there's also with you Shimei. Do you guys remember Shimei? He's the Benjamite from Baharam who cursed me with a grievous curse on the day when I went to Manaheim. But when he, so Shimei was the guy that as David is leaving, Absalom is coming, David and all of his people are leaving, and all of a sudden this dude shows up on the side of the hill and he's just throwing rocks at King David. And he's like, curse you, you blankety blank, stupid, bah, 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 blood on your head, you're a killer, just throwing mud. <laughs> and I forget which one it was. It was one of the sons of Zeruiah. It might have been Joab. Says, please, sir, can I remove his head? <laughs> and David says, no, don't remove his head. I have no idea why he's doing that, but who knows? Maybe God told him to throw down those curses. David is so not judging. He is withdrawing judgment from the scenario. He is like, I don't know what's happening. My own son is like killing all kinds of people and trying to take the throne and would probably kill me. I don't know if, if this is all a curse on me. I don't know if this is all punishment for Bathsheba and that whole fiasco. But don't take his head off. And so they keep walking and he keeps throwing rocks and keeps throwing mud and keeps cursing them. It's probably way too worse than they describe, but yes. So then when David comes back, oh no, Shimei. Shimei comes running right down as David's coming back and he's like, I am so sorry, my king. I don't know what got into me. I am so sorry I did that. Please don't kill me. And David says, this is a day of celebration, man. We're having a party today. I'm getting my kingdom back. I'm not killing anybody. So again, David withholds judgment. Now, is Shimei just saying that because he knows he's dead meat? Because he cursed the king when he was... It's really easy to curse the person while they're leaving. But when they come back in, you better shut your mouth, right? That's what Shimei is doing. David doesn't judge that. He's like, you know what? I don't know what's up with you, dude. Why you felt it was necessary to throw rocks down the hill and cuss us all out while we're obviously miserable. But I'm not going to kill you today. So David tells Solomon, do not hold him guiltless. You are a wise man. You know what you ought to do to him and you shall bring his gray, his gray head down with blood to Sheol. Sheol is where you go after you die. So don't let him live out a long life. 
You need to do something. You need to be wise. But David doesn't tell Solomon what to do. And so then David dies. David slept with his fathers, was buried in the city of David. The time David reigned over Israel was 40 years. He reigned seven years in Hebron and 33 years in Jerusalem. So Solomon sat on the throne of David, his father, and his kingdom was established. <gasps> Peace. Now it's all going to be happy, right? Now almost. <laughs> so I'm not going to read all that, all of this. I'm going to kind of paraphrase it and tell the story. So Solomon's on his throne. David's told him, do this, do this, and do this. But he hasn't given him details on how to do it. And Solomon has been learning from his dad all of his life about the Lord and the Lord's characteristics. He knows the law of Moses. He knows a whole lot about justice. He has learned from his dad's mistakes because he is Solomon, son of Bathsheba, wife of Uriah the Hittite. And so he is walking in seeing God's mercy for when you sin. He is a walking example of God's mercy and God's faithfulness and God's forgiveness. And so with that wisdom, he's going to make some decisions. So the next thing that happens is Adonijah goes to Bathsheba, the mother of Solomon. Do you remember who Adonijah was? Adonijah was the guy who said, I'm going to become king. I'm the next born. I'm the next oldest son. He got 50 guys to run around his chariot. He grabbed Abiathar and um, the other priest guy, and they went down and he declared himself king, right? This was last week. And then all of a sudden Bathsheba's like, I thought Solomon was going to be king. And they all had to spring into action. And Adonijah was like, sorry, I, I didn't do that. Well, now Adonijah comes back and he goes to Bathsheba, the mother of the king. And he says, hey, can you ask Solomon something for me? She's like, yeah, whatever. What, what do you need? He says, ask King Solomon to give me Abishag the Shunammite as my wife. So Abishag was the beautiful young lady that they had lie in King David's bed to try to keep him warm. To try to rescue his life. That was their old life support system was stick a warm body in next to you and that'll warm you up. And it didn't work and he died. But now she is going to be treated like a widow and a concubine of King David. And she is going to live out her life. She'll never get married. She'll be provided for and paid for by the king. All of her needs will be supplied, but she's never going to have any kids. And she's going to live out her days in the, in the kingdom. But Adonijah says, I kind of want to marry her. Can she be my wife? So what's it mean if you go get the king's concubine to be your wife? You are slowly taking the king's property. You are slowly influencing yourself as an heir. So Adonijah, since he couldn't make himself king that way, maybe if he could encroach a little bit on King David's property and get a little bit, a little bit. If something were to happen to Solomon, well, here's Adonijah and he's already married to the last concubine of King David. So we've got some succession. See what he's doing here? He's trying to play. <laughs> Solomon will not have it at all. Bathsheba comes. She's like, hey, son, 
I got a question for you. He's like, yeah, mom, come on, have a throne right next to mine. She's like, Adonijah would like Abishag. You just like, have you ever been in a meeting or something and you can tell somebody gets mad and you're like, I do not want to be in this room right now. I do not want to be here. Sometimes you're at a restaurant and somebody gets somebody's order wrong and somebody's losing their mind over here. And you're like, I don't even want to be in this restaurant. That person's losing their mind over a piece of cheese. How do I get out of here? That's how we would have all been in the room with Bathsheba and Solomon talking about Abishag. King Solomon. Why, why are you asking for Abishag, for Adonijah? Why don't you just go ask for the whole stinking kingdom, mom? <laughs> all right, he doesn't say it that rude, but he does say it pretty rude. He says, ask for him the kingdom because he's my older brother. And he's got uh, Abiathar the priest and Joab the son of Zariah on his team. So we know what Solomon thinks of Joab because we know what's going to happen to Joab. But now Abiathar the priest got lumped in with Joab because Abdonijah took Abiathar and Joab with him to declare himself king. So Solomon's like, why don't you just ask for the whole kingdom? Why don't you ask for the head of the army and the head of the priesthood too? Because that's what you're doing. Hey, Benaniah. <laughs> oh dear. Therefore, as the Lord lives, who has established me and placed me on the throne of David, my father, who has made me a house, as he promised, Adonijah will be put to death today. So King Solomon sent Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, and he struck him. And he died. Benaiah, you remember him? He's the bodyguard of King David. Toughest of toughest, tough dudes ever. All right. So if you're keeping a list, Adonijah, you just put a cross through him. Joab, pending. Abiathar, just got mentioned. Hmm. Verse 26, to Abiathar the priest. That the priest that went with, um, oh my gosh, they are running together in my head. Adonijah. Abiathar was the priest that went with Adonijah to make him king illegally against the will of the king. Solomon says, you just go home. Just leave the temple, leave the Ark of the Covenant, leave the, the priesthood. And you go back home because you deserve death. Whoa, this is like the head of all the priests getting told right now, you deserve death, but I'm just going to let you go home. I'm not at this time going to put you to death because you carried the ark of the Lord before my before David, my father. I respect these years of stuff that you have done and you have carried the ark of the covenant. Abiathar. Oh, gosh. All right. Yeah, I got I got to keep it short. <laughs> So Solomon expels him away. And in verse 27, it says, thus fulfilling the word of the Lord that had been spoken concerning the house of Eli in Shiloh. Do you remember who Eli in Shiloh was? <laughs> Isn't this awesome? Like, this is just like, there's all these tethers. Eli was the fat guy who was eating all of the good fat off the sacrifices. And it wasn't a Weight Watchers fitness commentary. 
It was a, these are the parts for the Lord. The Lord wants those parts. Eli was stealing them from the Lord. His sons were doing all kinds of horrible things in the temple. And God said, Eli, you disgust me. You're stealing all the good stuff that is supposed to be to me that's really unhealthy. And that's why it made you so fat. There's all kinds of people in need. Your sons are doing terrible things with every person that comes in. And so I'm going to curse you. And the curse is terrible. And it's in 1 Samuel 2. And you can read it later. And he basically says, for the rest of your life, all of your descendants are going to die at an early age by the sword. And they will be begging the other members of the, the house of Levi for food. And that sort of comes to be fulfilled when his sons, his sons both die on the same day. And then when word comes back that the Ark of the Covenant got stolen and both of his sons were killed and he falls over dead and all of that happens. And then David is fleeing a little bit later and Saul finds out that they helped David. So they kill everybody there except the one dude that still the, the ephod, Abiathar, and brings it to King David and hides out with him in the wilderness. So when David says, no, when Solomon says, you deserve death, go home. We are done with your family line. He is fulfilling in 2 Kings 2, a prophecy from over 40 years earlier, like 50 or 60 years earlier, from 1 Samuel 2. Isn't that wild? And whoever wrote 1 Kings 2 gives you that little hint. They're like, this fulfilled the prophecy about Eli. All right, we got to hurry up and kill off a couple more people so we can get out of here. Joab gets word that he's going to die. Joab is like, King Solomon's religious. I'm going to make, I'm going to go to the one place where he wouldn't kill anybody. And he goes right into the tabernacle and he goes right up to the altar and he's holding on to the side of the altar. I'm not leaving this spot. Nobody will kill me here. Benaiah goes in to kill him. Benaiah's like, man, this is a holy place. Like the Ark of the Covenant is right over there behind that curtain. This is the altar of mercy. This is the mercy seat. He goes back to Solomon. He's like, dude is holding on to the edge of the altar. Begging for mercy. And Solomon is like, I gave you directions. <laughs> Benaiah goes back and kills him. Joab, acting religious, you've been evil, evil, evil. He never repented. Do you get that? Like, that's the wild thing. Joab starts to do religious things to try to get saved, but he, he didn't do any repenting in his heart to say, gosh, I shouldn't have killed those guys in cold blood. I'm just going to go get by a religious thing and maybe that'll save me. And it doesn't. So then, <laughs> Abiathar is gone. Zadok is the new priest. Joab is gone. And um, Benaiah takes his place. We got one more guy we got to deal with. Shimei. So Solomon's like, okay, get Shimei in here. I got, I got to tell him what we're going to do here. So Shimei comes in. Now, can you imagine? You're Shimei. Your first experience was to just go out and just cuss out King David 
and throw mud on him and just blah, blah, just be a punk. Then you realize, oh my gosh, he's coming back. He's going to kill me. David says, I'm not going to kill you today. Today's a day of celebration. Years go by. You get summoned to the king's throne by his son. Oh, shoot. You are dead. You are so dead. It's pretty awesome. Solomon, wisest guy that ever lived. Shimei, here's what we're going to do. You build your house in Jerusalem and you dwell there. And you don't go out from there to any place anywhere but outside of Jerusalem. And the day that you go out of Jerusalem and you cross the little brook, know for certain you're going to die. You're dead. Your blood will be on your own head. It's your own fault. Because I'm going to let you live out all your days, but you have to stay in Jerusalem. Isn't this wild? This is kind of like a refuge city in, in Numbers and Exodus where they had the refuge city where if you accidentally killed somebody, you could go live out your days there. And Solomon is like, we're, we're just going to see. Do you fear God? Do you respect the king? Simple rule. There are a lot of people who lived in Jerusalem and never left for their whole lives. So it shouldn't even be a very hard thing for Shimei to do. So he does it. For three years, you guys. He only lasted three years. It happened at the end of three years. Two of Shimei's servants ran away to Achish, the son of Maka, the king of Gath. So Shimei is so rich. Not only does he live in Jerusalem and he never has to leave, but he even has servants. And some of his servants ran away. And we don't have any story on why they ran away. Um, slavery was completely different in these days than it was in America uh, 200 years ago. It's just a completely different measure of slavery. Jewish slavery was a lot like our debt or a lot like a contract. And it would be over after your slavery would almost always be over after a few years of working. It was almost like being arrested. Um, but it was done in such a way that at the end of your slavery, there were a lot of slaves that said, I want to stay working for my boss. And they would stay and remain slaves. So something about Shimei is already bad that his slaves would flee all the way to Gath. Like they're among Philistines. They're going to Philistine land to find a better place than live in Jerusalem. And Shimei goes after them. And he goes after them and he retrieves them and he comes back and time passes still. Solomon didn't even find out when it happened. When Solomon was told that Shimei had gone from Jerusalem and Gath and returned, the king sent Shimei, said, didn't I make you swear by the Lord? Solomon warn you know for certain on the day you go out any place you'll die. And you said to me, what you say is good. I will obey. We had an agreement like you knew, you know, this is going to happen. Like you're going to die now and it's your own fault because you had a chance. You could just let those slaves go. And then the king brings it up. You know, in your own heart, all the harm that you did to David, my father. That really this is so insightful because when you read that and you read David, like just let him maybe the Lord's having him do that. That hurt David for a long time. It hurt him all the way to his death. 
It makes us really think about the words we use against people, right? Even if they take it well, the word, the words that went to David from Shimei, who's not even a person, like who is some dude on the side of a hill throwing rocks compared to King David? But it hurt David for the rest of his life. And now it's going to hurt Shimei. The Lord will bring back your harm on your own head. And King Solomon says this. But King Solomon shall be blessed and the throne of David shall be established before the Lord forever. Then the king commanded Benaiah, the son of Jehodiah, and went out and struck him and he died. All of this in the establishment of this kingdom is establishing a kingdom in which there are all kinds of ways to be reconciled. There are all kinds of ways to be reconciled with Joab and Azahel and Amasa and Abner and all of those guys. David was seeking reconciliation, all of that. Even in Solomon, dude, you got to kill Joab, but do it in a wise way. He said the same thing about Shimei. I think if Joab wouldn't have kind of profaned the altar, that Solomon might have been able to work something out with him because he was trying to work something out with Shimei. But Joab, Joab tried to do this thing and it almost made it worse. Like, don't go put your hand on the altar. You kill all these innocent people. You have all this bitterness and hatred. What, what's the altar going to do about that? And so this kingdom gets established, longing for reconciliation, offering peace. But when it's not accepted, judgment comes. And that is exactly the kingdom of Jesus. He offers us reconciliation. He offers us a ministry of reconciliation, the Apostle Paul would say. He offers us communion with him and fellowship with him. At the Last Supper, he called them friends. When he rose from the dead, he called them brothers. But to those that would not take it, judgment came and judgment will come. And so it's so wild to see in First and Second Samuel and in First Kings, this kingdom of Jesus established just the exact way it's going to be actually for eternity. Full of reconciliation, not forced reconciliation, but offered. And then when it's rejected, there's judgment and doom, right? That, that is our Jesus. Next week, we are going to talk about Jesus. And that's all we're going to talk about for about 20 minutes. So um, that's when we're going to start talking about various characters. We're going to do a character a week. And like I said, we got 16, we got about 18 weeks until Advent. So we might talk about 18 different people. But if there's somebody real tiny or whatever, like Abishag, we might have to talk about a couple in a whole week. But I think I've already started looking through it all. And um, I mean, of course, talking about Jesus, you will be surprised at how much Jesus shows up in the lives of everybody, every other person in the Bible. That it all points. It really does all point to him. So let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your offer of reconciliation. Thank you for paying the bill for our reconciliation with Jesus on the cross. And thank you for sealing and redeeming and ensuring our reconciliation with his resurrection and the sending of your Holy Spirit. I pray that you would bless us this week and guide us and help us along. 
that you would help us to see your will and to do it and to appreciate and love every activity that you do that establishes your kingdom among us. We love you, Lord. Amen. So church, as you go, look for that kingdom. It's full of reconciliation and peace, and you are subjects and instruments of it. God bless you.